Welcome to Writers Talking TV, Episode 3, brought to you by the Writers Guild of Canada. I'm Jill Golick, sitting here with the man at the wheel of our podcast, Philip Vukovic. It's been a cold, drizzly November day here in Toronto, but nonetheless, a bunch of writers have come down to Queen Street West to talk TV tonight. Our guest tonight is Simon Rassiopa, and we'll be talking about animation writing, animation show writing, and his new series, animated of course, Spliced. So my first question, we're going to talk a little bit about Splice. Sure. So first tell us um, how this project started and how you first became involved in it. Uh, the project first started, I think, back in 2004, actually quite a while ago. Yeah. Uh, we were just wrapping up a couple of series we were doing down in the U.S. Uh, for some other uh, broadcasters down there. Uh, and we, I mean, I, uh, I'm going to say we a lot. I'm talking usually about myself and my writing partner, Richard Elliott, who isn't here tonight. So you see our names will be like Simon and Richard up on the screen. So if I keep on saying we, that's, I'm talking about, you can imagine it's him. It's not the royal He's we. over here somewhere. No, it's not the royal. <laughs> we only do it this way now. <clears throat> He's just over here somewhere. You can make it tonight. Uh, we were just taking down uh, a lot of different shows to Los Angeles at the time and sort of taking them around and pitching. It was kind of like our business plan at the time was like, always have a couple things on the go, always have a couple shows. So it was one of, I think we'd usually go down with about three different show concepts at the time that we were taking around and pitching, and we got uh, uh, a lot of people really interested in And Nelvan at the time had big offices down in L.A., and they uh, picked it up and bought it from us, optioned it from us. And then we entered into a very lengthy development process, both on their side and ours, just because we both kind of got, we got busy with another show, they got busy with other shows, I guess, whatever else a big company gets busy with. And we uh, we did a little bit of development on it for a while, and we did a short pilot, like a one, I think, I think it was probably about a one or two minute pilot, that looks very, very, very different than the show that you see tonight. Like, it's reminiscent of the show you see tonight, but it's, it's quite a different look visually uh, and uh, quite a different kind of style to the show. And then the show kind of went to sleep for about a year as, again, we got busy with other stuff. And then we sort of came out of uh, story editing and show running a different series and sort of realized that we'd really like to make this our next project. And uh, Nelvana had just brought in a new person to do development there was this uh, guy, David Weeb, who was a development executive we knew from Warner Brothers when we were down working with him in the U.S., and he had a really good sensibility on comedy series, so he called us up and we sort of talked to him and we're like, let's get this going again. And at that point, we sort of almost started development over again in a way. Uh, same character, same basics, you know, same pilot script, but we just kind of refreshed everything and sort of decided what we liked about the first set of development and threw away stuff we didn't like and just picked the show up again, wrote a couple more scripts, and Teletoon picked it up. And uh, we started uh, pre-production and then production and made the show. Okay. 
down. That was very detailed. But <laughs> I still have to, I have to go backwards and say, okay, so you went down to L.A. with the, this and a couple other shows to pitch. What did, what did you have? How much development had you done at that stage? <clears throat> did you leave a leave behind? How long was the document? Uh, for that stage, Stage, I'm pretty sure it was just a verbal pitch. Mm-hmm. Uh, usually when we pitch uh, shows now, we just do a verbal pitch. We don't leave anything behind. Uh, I think we probably had a couple pages written uh, just for ourselves, just to kind of get the idea together in our heads, and something that we could send if they wanted it like a day or two later. But I'm pretty sure we just came in, we did a verbal pitch, and it, it wouldn't have been any more than like two or three pages at that point. Like this is what the show is. The show originally had a different name. It was originally called The Leftovers of Dr. Moreau. Uh-huh. Which we changed to make it shorter. Okay, more, can more you easy. tell? Can you give us like the, the pitch for for the show? At the, uh, or as it? No, you know, I don't Roll mean back. pitch it, but just you know, like the, the, the one line or the the concept as it was or as it still yeah. is. I, I yeah. Well, it was, originally it was called the leftovers of Doctor Moreau, and the idea was it, was it was sort of the island of Doctor Moreau. If everyone's sort of familiar with that, the H.G. Wells story and the the very poorly done Marlon Brando movie with Val Kilmer. Uh, so you have a mad scientist in an island who's created strange animal hybrids by merging things together. Uh, and in our version, he gets arrested and taken away from the island, and the authorities come, and they're sort of grossed out by all of his, his experiments, so they just cordon off the island and leave it. So you have all these weird, twisted animal experiments that are all living on this island kind of trapped there and left to their own machinations. So... And it's, we, we kind of call it a sandbox show in the sense of that it's like we put a lot of weird characters in a box and we shake it and we just see what happens. Does it have an age group associated with it when you pitch it? Yeah, we were sort of saying 9 to 12 is the, the age. We write it a little bit older than that. We wanted it to be a kind of a little uh, – feel a little dangerous, feel a little older. Like the kids – we wanted kids to be watching and saying, I don't think I should be watching this. Like, I don't think my parents would would like this. You know, we wanted to be just a little bit edgy, you know. Okay. So I think we'll come to sort of some examples of that as we go along, right? Um, But, okay. So, so, okay. So you, you, you go in, you have your verbal pitch. Uh, They probably did ask you to see some paper after that. And uh, so you gave them your two pages and they optioned it from two pages. Yep. Perhaps, and then so what was in that first little stalled piece of development? What did you produced a script, a Bible? A- uh, I think we produced a mini Bible, so mm-hmm. probably like I, I actually probably was a Bible, so probably about ten to fifteen pages, I guess would have been in that range. Would have been like uh, we would have taken that two sheet and probably made it into like a one sheet, just uh, sort of a, to sell the show, then the characters, and then some story ideas and a little bit about the world and the island. And how, like, and when you do story ideas for a Bible, uh, you know, what, do you do just a paragraph, a couple of? Usually a paragraph, maybe maybe two at the most, you mm-hmm. know. And it's more about the whole thing with this kind of development, especially when you're doing a comedy series, and you know, especially, is that all the development should be funny. Like the Bible should be funny to read. You know, the com- the ideas for the episode should be funny. Uh, otherwise, because I I've seen people trying to trying to pitch. Uh, comedy series with really dry Bibles that maybe are functional from a description point of view, like this is where it happens, these are the characters mm-hmm. and stuff. But if it's a comedy series, everything should be funny about it. Like the Bible should be funny to read. So we, we kind of write them very loose in that sense. So you write it in the tone of the show. In the tone of the show, yeah. Not not necessarily like not in the voice of the characters or anything, but just in the tone of the show. The Bible matches the tone of the show so that when someone reads the Bible, they should have a really good idea of what the series is going to be like. 
So um, when you did the, 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 the little short one-minute pilot, did, did you write a real script, like a real 11-minute script? Did you always know it was going to be an 11-minute? Yeah, yeah. We always knew it was going to be an 11-minute because we wanted the show to be really quick and short stories and fast stories. And once you stretch a show to a half hour, it becomes much more – you have to have a lot more plot development and everything like that. We wanted simple stories that we could sort of do over 11 minutes and just fill with as many gags as we, as we could. We wanted – Almost in a way less less plot and more jokes, but still have story. Obviously, still have story, still have narrative. Uh, so at the start, when we did that pilot, we wrote. I think we wrote a pilot first. We wrote a full half hour, so two mm-hmm. to eleven minutes, and then we only had money. I think at that point, uh, or we only had the budget to animate. I think a minute and a half. So we wrote a separate script for that, which was just. Rather than picking a minute and a half out of the scripts we had, we thought it would be better just to write its own thing, like a short film. Did you have a hand in picking that style, how it was going to look, who would, who you were going to work with? Yeah, we went through a very – well, we interviewed directors uh, and ended up with a, a really, really great director, this guy Matt Ferguson, who's a director in Elvana, and did a series – we worked on him with him previously on a series called Grossology, and we really liked working with him on that. So he came on board. And then we went through a very lengthy visual development period where it was just sort of like you start off with talking about the characters, and we probably had 50 different drawings of each character. And then you sort of narrowed in. You're like, oh, I like 1, 6, 8, 10, and 15, and I like this part of number 12. And working with the artist back and forth, trying to narrow it down, narrow it down, and narrow it down uh, until you got to the, the designs you liked that also had to be animatable, had to be expressive, and had to be colorful. And yeah, that took a that took a long time to get out. Uh, the main character of the show, uh, one of the main characters, is Perry, was the last one for us to lock down, and uh, it came down to a point of where we had to go into boardroom, and we're like, we we can't leave until he's done, until he's designed, and it took a while. We got out, we got out of there, but it, it took a while. That's great because I mean we. We hear so much about how, I mean, I hear so much about how live action showrunners work, but it's interesting to hear that your casting process is much different. You're casting kind of by creating how they look on paper. So, uh, and, and at the same time, it, the same kind of a process of, of casting voices. Did you cast voices at the, for the pilot and did you keep them? Uh, we did cast voices for the pilot. We ended up recasting completely. We probably listened to maybe 300 people for for all the roles. I think for the two major, the two main roles, Perry and Entree, we listened to probably 50 or 60 people each. I think by the end, uh, that took a long time too, and it sort of led us to led us to learn one thing, which was at first we sort of had this naive idea that that we would cast for voice quality first, uh, like the, the person who sounds like the character in our head, and we pretty quickly learned that you should cast for acting ability first uh-huh. and get to voice quality. And, and then you can find the voice quality in a lot of a lot of good voice actors. But if you don't have the acting, they can do the funniest word as voice you want. If they don't have the acting, nothing's going to work. Okay, good. Okay, so, so then we came back to the second development process. Oh, you know, before we go there, I just want to know – the Nelvana, how involved were they with you through this whole process? Um, were they in that boardroom helping you decide on the design? Did they have a representative there all the time? Well, it depends what you say by Nelvana, I guess, because it's sort of like I, I myself and Richard were the showrunners. Yes. Uh, the rest of the crew, 
uh, from the production side of point, were Nelvana employees. Uh-huh. But once we got our crew together, Nelvana sort of upper management didn't bother us at all, really, only on budgetary things. And they didn't they didn't have someone no- reading scripts and giving notes. Nope, no, they kind of gave us free hand, which was great, which is amazing. You know, we it's had amazing. The only fights we had with Nelvana were in terms of uh, legal issues, like can we say this? Can we not say this? Uh, clearance issues, you know, can we make fun of, you know, Calgary or whatever? Not that we did. Uh, you know, stuff, well, you'd be surprised uh, the stuff that came up about that. And then some fights over over budget. They're not really fights, but more like, can we have a little more money to do this? This is going to take a little bit more, but we have to lose it somewhere else. So, uh, but pretty much nothing creatively. Like, no arguments or anything with the creative content of the show, which was wonderful. The only people we dealt with that was with Teletoon. Right. It was our Canadian broadcaster. And and the, were they your only broadcaster in? Uh, when That's we started, from yeah, from yeah. the top, yeah. Yeah, they were the only one. Okay, so you come back. David Weeb is now working with you. He's your executive. Um, you've got to push on. So from how long did was was this period before the green light? Uh, probably about a year, I guess. Maybe maybe a little less than that, but I would say around a year of right. We wrote, I think, two or f- I think we probably wrote four more episodes in that period. So. And revise the first two. So by by the end of that development period, we had the first six scripts, so the first three half hours put together. We had a pretty good handle on the visuals, on the main characters at least. Uh, and then uh, and then we got the green light, and then it was like full on into production. Uh, were there more doors to knock on besides Teletoon? Yeah, we actually did. We took it down to Nickelodeon. We took it to a bunch of other places uh, in the states and overseas. Just initial some initial development, yeah. like some of the scripts and some of the designs. Uh, the problem with that was if you we – we were in this weird position with the show, was that we were already going ahead with it. Mm-hmm. So a lot of foreign broadcasters were like, so you don't need money for development. You're already making it uh, because you have a Canadian broadcaster and you have your budget together. Then why should I buy it now? Why won't I just wait and see how it comes out? Because it wasn't like we were going to them and saying we want to partner on this at this yeah. point. Like we'd gone far enough in development that they couldn't really be there from the start. So they figured most of them, why not just wait till we had episodes to show, uh, which is, has happened. So, in fact, we didn't really get uh, any other broadcasters until we started to have episodes to show. And then we locked down quite a few, quite a few more after that. When did Teletoon come in? Teletoon came, on, came in very early on. Uh, I guess it would have been, yeah, just like... Early into development, I think we, we gave them – they were always interested in the show. And then I think once we had, like, four scripts done, four or five scripts done, they started coming in and commenting on it. And then we got the green light from them. And what was the order? Uh, oh, how many? Uh, the order was for 26 half hours. And then and then when – and have, is that all you've done? or have you That's done? all we've done right now, okay. yeah. We did 26 half, uh, half hours, which is actually – so 52 11-minute episodes, so 52 separate stories. And then almost every half hour has either one or two shorts in it, like short film bits in it, which were uh, usually driven by animators. We sort of gave those away. We gave like a minute or two away and had animators pitch for them uh, in some cases. Other cases, we did them ourselves. Uh, uh, And then we also did another 13 minutes of what Teletoon calls additional material, which is they sort of tacked us on without giving you any money for it. And you're saying, we want 13 minutes of additional material for cell phones, for the web, for all this stuff. Well, you should use your original pilot for that. 
It didn't match anymore. It didn't I know, match. but that's what's fascinating about it for real fans. Well, they wanted they wanted origi- brand new original stuff. We're like we couldn't. We're so we're like we don't we don't have the money for this. Can we just give you clips from episodes? They're like, no, it has to be completely original. Oh my goodness. Which was nice creatively, though, because uh, we use that for our weirdest ideas that we couldn't put on TV. <laughs> <laughs> so before we watch any more questions about development. Okay, set up the first, what we're going to see. Oh, okay, first. so uh, I just sort of grabbed a grab bag of a couple episodes. Uh, I think the first two we're going to watch are uh, Jetpacking and Two Arms Joe. Uh, so, I mean, the, the two main characters are Perry and Entre. I guess Perry's a little orange guy. He's a mixture of who knows what. He doesn't even know what he is. Entre's uh, cow, pig, chicken, shrimp mix. He's all the tastiest animals put together. They're the best buds on the island. Uh, you see a lot of the other characters. I don't know. I think it speaks for itself, I hope. Okay. Okay. So uh, can we roll it, please? talk about writing this well, first of all when you and Richard write together how do you write together uh you mean just in the sh- for the show or in general in general do you sit in the same room who yeah. drives who sits at the computer who? we actually we have we, we sit detective style we have like two desks uh-huh, and facing. we face each other two computers and uh sometimes we work on one machine but usually we're both on both uh, he's on his machine, I'm on my machine. And we throw stuff back and forth. We just talk about stuff continuously. And then uh, one of us will take first pass on, on a script. He'll take first pass on a different script. And we just stuff just gets swapped back and forth continuously. Like nothing goes out that hasn't been through both of us uh-huh. multiple times. Okay. So now how many other writers did you have working with you on these? On this show, we actually put a writing room together for this series. Really? Yeah, actually, uh, Mike Kiss is here way at the back there. Hi, hi Mike. How are you doing? Hi, Mike. Who uh, was in the writing room? Uh, and is asked, <coughs> sorry, is also the voice of uh, Mr. Smarty Smarts on the show. Uh-huh. Who's a dolphin character early oh, on? So multiple talents. He was yes, he was a writer. And How many an actor. writers in the room? Uh, there are four of us. Four. Yeah, so we just we took Mike and we had another writer, uh, Dale Schott, who's an old school animation guy who's been doing it forever and is yeah. really really great. Uh, and we had one other guy who wasn't in the room. This uh, Tim Burns, who's a Canadian. Uh, writer who's been writing for years again. He came in and just did sort of two episodes, two guest episodes for us. But otherwise, uh, every single episode was written by one of the four of us. So myself, Richard, um, Mike, or Dale. So how did the stories come about? Did people come in with stories and pitch you, or did you kind of develop them in the room? We kind of developed a lot of them in the room, but like uh, people would come in like Mike or or Dale would come in with a couple ideas for, for stories, and we would all sort of spitball stuff back and forth. We try to have every story start on at least a core of something sort of kid-relatable or a real kind of story. So, like, jetpacking is kind of about obsessing about a toy or obsessing about something. Uh, Two Arms Joe is, you know, uh, kind of about 
a similar thing about sharing, I guess. Uh, I can't remember <laughs> what they were. We had them, we had them all worked out. Okay, uh, so you had themes. You went for the yeah. traditional uh, kids thing where your your shows had themes. We had themes, and then what we try to do is try and figure out what was the weirdest way we could still do that theme and make a story about it. Yeah, I'll what was say. the oddest way we could twist that and, and do it? And then we usually also try to give most of the stories a, a twist in the back half. That's something that you really didn't see coming. Uh, those were earlier episodes. It, it sort of that came out later in the season, where we'd be like, "This is how you think it's going this way for two thirds of the story," and then we just try and throw a wild card in there for the back. So do, now, did you think of them as uh, in in um, Act One, Two, Three? Uh, no, it's kind of like we kind of called it a two act structure. Like you kind of go up the hill and you come down the hill, and then we do something weird at the end. Was sort of like just as you were coming down the hill, we would throw something else in there. So. Yeah. Two and a half acts, I guess, maybe. But generally, it was it was a two act structure with an extra twist. Okay, and and I noticed in the first one there was an A and B story. The B story being the, the crab. Um, was was there a B story in the second one? I just ended up watching it instead of. No, analyzing. I don't think so. We we didn't put them in every episode. If we had a, a good little, we call them runners. runners yeah. yeah. If we had a good runner, we would put it in. I mean, there's not really enough time to do a full B story in eleven minutes. Uh, I mean, sometimes you can. I think some episodes we did do two two full parallel stories, but most of the time it was a major story and then a runner that would go through just to sort of. And so, okay, so 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 you got the the idea, I guess. I mean, did you break them together? Is that? Yeah, yeah, we would break them in the room, uh, not down to, uh, to like a totally like it wouldn't we wouldn't work out everything, but we get a good basis to it, and then. Uh, we weren't meeting in the room every day. We couldn't afford that. We did like sort of like at least once or twice a week we'd all get together. Uh, so then everyone would go off, do a pass on that, try and work on it themselves, and then bring it back into the room. And then we'd all read them. We'd distribute stuff before we got into the room. So yeah. when you came to the room, you'd have the script you had to read because everybody punched up everybody else's draft. So we did read-throughs of all the material in the room. Uh, and actually, for the first bunch, we did read-throughs at the studio for the storyboard artists. Uh, Mike Smukovic actually is here. He did uh, Two Arms Joe. He's back there. He storyboarded that episode and did a really, really good job on it. Uh, and we did sort of read-throughs for different people. And, yeah, it was uh, there was a lot of iterations. So so there were frequently <clears throat> different – how many storyboard artists were there working with you? I think we cycled through four or five uh, who would just sort of like – because uh, uh, we were putting out a quarter hour a week to do the show. So one one of those episodes every week, uh, and it, uh, board artists wouldn't be able to do one of those in a week. So they would start on one, and then we'd have the next one another artist would take, and the next one another artist would take to the point of where the first guy was finished, and then we'd come back to him. So how many how many did it took five to get? I, th- back? I think it was four or five. Sometimes some people couldn't do, uh, you know, we didn't keep five five uh-huh. people employed for the whole season. We kind of, but I think I think it was four or five. Okay, uh, okay. So <clears throat> how many pages are are these 11 minutes? Uh, our scripts got as high as 25 pages. And uh, <laughs> for an 11-minute script. Uh, and uh, how many scenes? Uh, sometimes over more than 25. Yeah. I, I, one of the things I noticed was how fast-paced it was. I mean, a lot of the beats are like go by so quickly that I don't think. Uh, an adult audience would even catch them. Is that part of your philosophy of kids? Yeah, we try. We try. The show we even would like to be a little faster in place. Like when I watch them now, I think they're they're slow in spots, uh, especially some of the early ones. 
we try to make the show as fast as we can because the whole idea is also is if, if you don't laugh at this joke, it's okay because there's another one coming like two seconds later. And hopefully you laugh at that one. If you don't laugh at that one, well, there's another one coming two seconds later. Do, do you go for a certain number of jokes per page? No, no. Just kind of – we could just tell sort of like, mm, this isn't funny enough, you know. Animation especially, like live action – uh, you have a lot more time. You can spend more time in characters. You can spend more time just moving places, setting up shots and stuff. In animation, that's dead air almost. Like you, you have to have the content to fill the time, especially to do a fast-paced show like this, because uh, it's it's just it's not the same as live action. You can't just hang on shots. You can't do sort of beauty shots and cutaways. Really, not the same way. If we looked at the script page, what's the ratio of direction to dialogue? Uh, probably fifty-fifty. I'd say there's definitely more, way more action, more, way more description than there is in live action script because uh, you're working with storyboard artists, but you're not working necessarily with, with sets or anything that's been pre-designed before. Uh, so you have to describe a lot more than you do in, in uh, live action because the actor, the voice actor interprets the line, but obviously there's no body actor to interpret that line. So you're right. working, you're trying to present a really good package for the storyboard artist to then take and develop into you know, the boards for the show. Uh, yeah, there's always limitations. There are always limitations on the number of characters and the number of backgrounds we could do and everything. Uh, our director is really good in trying to make those as flexible as possible and sort of like, I think we can do one more, uh, or sort of kind of finding ways to squeak around them. So they're no hard and fast. It wasn't like we only had eight, but there were times when he was like, it would be really great, guys, if we didn't invent any more characters for this episode. Or like, <laughs> I, it would be really helpful. He was really so accommodating. Matt was the best. He was, he was always just like... I think we can do that, you know, and you could tell, we could tell when we were pushing just a bit too much, you know, but he always came back with great stuff. So, so now where did you, where were you working during this? Were you working at home? Were you working at uh, the animation studio? Where were you? Uh, we have an office at Jarvis and Carlton, which is where we did the majority of the writing. Mm-hmm. Our time was spent between three places, actually. So Jar- our office at Jarvis and Carlton, where the other writers came in and we did all our meetings there. Uh, at the studio, we were in probably at least once or twice a week, you know, the studio. I mean, it would have been beneficial for us to probably be, have been there full time, but there was something nice about being able to be removed to just do the writing. Mm-hmm. And then at least once a week, a day a week at the recording studio to do the voice records. So finding time to actually write and still be there for the storyboard meetings, because we had storyboard pitches where the storyboard artists would come in and pitch what they had done in the episode so far, and we would comment on it with, with the director and a couple mm-hmm. other people. So. Moving from like storyboard pitch on this episode to record on this episode to writing this episode to designs for this episode to this uh, got really it was it was it's a you know like a fifteen hour a day sorry fifteen hour a day job when you get into full production sure now um, in live action you know when the director comes in and it, the the show starts to go into prep there's a lot of rewriting at that point now it, do you did you have to do a lot of rewriting once <clears throat> the storyboarding was happening and and uh, the director was involved and we did but maybe in a different way uh because in animation you kind of edit before the picture yes like uh, after the storyboards are done, you cut together a Leica, which is sort of like an animated storyboard panel, and you put the voices on top of that, and you start to trim that and cut that into your episode. Uh, so we did a lot of rewriting at that stage, but mostly it wasn't like a script rewrite. It was like, we have to fix this section. It's not funny enough. So let's trim that. We'll add in. We'll write a couple extra pickup lines for yeah. here, 
or make that work. And then we would sort of spend a huge amount of time just watching Leicas and writing notes for them all the way along, being like, can we trim this? Can we extend this? Let's put a new section in here and stuff. So a lot of the writing almost didn't happen on the script page. It happened sort of in like just Word documents and stuff like that. So in many ways that stage is is comparable both to the read-through kind of and to post-production and adding the ADR and so on. Yeah. Uh, very interesting. Uh, questions? <clears throat> Uh, I, sort of just, I want to talk a little bit about the room because I know in animation it's, it's something that comes up a lot, especially because it's so much of it is, is comedy, you know, no matter what age you do it. And yet, the thing you always hear is we can't, well, we don't have money for the room. So, how did you guys swing? I know there was a lot of money, but. How we how we swung it was I mean ideally the best way to I think to run the show would have been to run it like a, a full on live action show although la- like talking to what Mal- hearing Malcolm talk last year he couldn't afford to keep a whole room for the run of Crash and Burn could he I think no he said he couldn't but I think that was a, a big choice about how he was spending his dollars potentially right? yeah his, his budget wasn't that teeny. <laughs> Well, there you go. Uh, so we, we had a limited budget. That's recorded. And uh, what we did instead was we we paid all the writers an extra consult consulting fee for every single episode of the script. So the writers got money for the scripts they wrote, and then they also got X amount of dollars times 52, which was as many episodes as we did. And a that, story editing fee. Essentially a story editing fee. We call it story consulting uh, to come in and – uh, be part of the read-throughs in, in the writer's room to come in and just be there for pitching new ideas, for doing read-throughs of outlines and punch-ups and stuff like that. Uh, the downside of that is we don't we didn't have them five days a week, you know, eight hours a day. We, uh, I, I mean, ultimately, I think we had them for more time than probably we deserved, but... I'm obviously, you've done shows the other way where you don't have any kind of room and you don't have, have that extra con- consultation time with the writer's... Do you think that just having them around for that extra time made them better able to write the show? Oh, by far. Like, I would never run a show the other way if I had a choice. I would always, always, always. Because have have writers in and have either a room or a consultation because they get so much more involved. Uh, they have to hear their own scripts being read out. And if it's not funny, no one's laughing. I, I think there's a bit of a pressure on you to, to do a better job. There's, I think, in, certainly in animation, there's a bit of a of a mindset sometimes that you you don't necessarily see the other side of production. You don't even sometimes see your episode being made or boarded or anything like that. So sometimes people just write an episode, send it in, and they don't have to deal with all the issues that that episode may have or may come across all the way through production. You know, And uh, in the room, because we're keeping the writers around and they're being sort of involved in it, uh, it makes them better, I think, because they see, they see or they hear about the issues that are, that are coming down the road. They have to, and they have to watch and participate in their episodes even after they're done writing them. It's so hard to learn a show when you're just on the outside. Mm-hmm. You can, I mean, you can't it's, – it's, so it must really be really helpful to be around for all of that yeah. and learn the voice and see what makes the showrunners happy. Yeah, I would, again, I would much rather have like two or three writers who will stay for the length of the show than being trying to find freelancers – you know, for every episode and having people outside people just pitch in. I mean, we did it like we had Tim who was the other writer who did pitch in for two episodes. We knew him. We knew he was a good writer, but there's, there's so much time spent taking pitches from outside writers. And we do this on other shows that 
who, who maybe don't understand the show, don't get the show, haven't been there for five episodes before and won't be there for five episodes after, that having your core team who are there for the whole show, who get it, who get into the mindset, is, is always preferable. preferable. Was there uh, ever any consideration of taking this uh, into like 3D, digital 3D? Was the decision to go with 2D for like financial? No, the decision uh, to do 2D was just actually because we like 2D. We think 2D works better for comedy, especially in a bu- certain budgetary range. To do uh, comedy 3D and to make it fast and snappy and get expression is much more expensive than to do comedy 2D. Uh, so that that was the main reason. We always saw it as a 2D show. So how long were you in production? We were in production for, uh, uh, in full production, a little bit over 52 weeks, so just over a year. Just over a year. Yeah. And was any part of that just a uh, pre-production writing period, or was that I think production we had, production? We had a head start, I think, probably about four weeks before. And how many shows did you have in the can at that point? I think we had six in the can. Six scripts. But we had to sort of go back over those and start revising them almost immediately. Like, they weren't done done. They were, like, done to get the broadcaster on board and get everybody on board. But the first thing we did when we got the room together was to kind of go back over them, I think. And how long in... At what point did you finish the writing process through that? Uh, you weren't writing for all fifty-two weeks. No, uh, almost because almost. We, almost it was almost because it was it was a we deliver a script a week. It was fifty-two scripts, fifty-two weeks. Oh, so really? it was almost a script a week for fifty-two weeks, minus like a little bit at the. We had a bit of a head start at the start, but then we went long in a couple. We missed deadlines in a couple places. There was a couple times where we finished a script. I think like four days before the record, you know, and we would have cut it closer, but it was like, if you cut it any closer, you couldn't book the actors for it. Right. And, uh, so it was, it was writing for that's a solid writing for almost a year. Long haul. And, um, so you had four writers working all that time. Mm -hmm. Uh, so that's quite a, you had about a month on your, on each script. Is that right? I would say about that, yeah, about a month on each script. And so so you went to the network first for each episode with a little pitch for it? Yeah, we always like did a pitch. paragraph or something? Yeah, I think eventually they started to bleed into about a page, uh-huh. and only because we got more confident with it. So we figured if we knew what we wanted to do, why not put it down? Uh, that's not how I would recommend normally pitching, because I think sometimes it's too much work to do a whole page when they're yeah. throwing, out, throwing away ideas. But we got to the point where I think in 52 episodes, we only had, I think, three or four that didn't go. Everything else got approved and just went. And I think the three or four that didn't go were really early on. So at the end, we are just like, we want to do this story. We think it'll be funny. And they're like, okay, do it. So And so then the next was an outline? Yeah, we, then we went to an outline. How long were your outlines? Our outlines were about four to five pages, pro style, not slugged, just yeah. like just a straight, uh, just paragraph after paragraph after paragraph all the way through. Uh, and we would, usually would only do one draft of those because we didn't have the time to do any more. Yeah. And that would come into the room too and we'd talk about it. And then to draft. Yeah. And so did, how many drafts did the writers do and then how much polishing and... I think generally the writers did two drafts, and then we did all the polishes, Rich and I. And uh, so, and that was a lot of um, adding jokes and. Yeah, I mean the good thing was like we we do a couple of drafts. Uh, we'd have everyone help to punch up the drafts, and then we would give a final pass and a final polish. Uh, and if we had anything else to put in it at the time, yeah, gags would go in it. Uh, and yeah. what were the notes like? The notes were usually pretty good. They were they were. Uh, 
they were often like uh, they were they were usually about pulling us back a little bit. We sort of said when we went in, we wanted to be we always wanted to do stuff that was a little bit too far, and we'd rather have the network pull us back than come in underneath the bar. So uh-huh. we had uh, some episodes that actually had to be pulled quite back to get on to get on television. Example. Well, one of them actually is one of the episodes here is this one episode called Juice. Which is where it's our it's our drug story, except <laughs> instead of heroin or methadone, everyone gets addicted to entrees utter juice. Okay, yeah. So it involves him sort of squirting milk out of his uh-huh. udder into characters' faces. And and what didn't they like about that? They didn't like the udder or the. Well, for one, we had to call it juice. We couldn't call it milk. Uh huh. and we had to just like we spent like weeks trying to make them happy about the color of it. Because I, I, I wish I was kidding. What color uh, did it start? It started off being white. And, uh-huh. and, and, and they weren't they weren't into that. No, well, they, I mean, but, but no one you know complained about the masturbation joke in that episode you guys just saw. Yeah. So that got through, but maybe uh, they didn't get it. I, hopefully. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so we had this episode called Juice, and it had and the storyboard artist. I, you didn't do that one, did you, Mike? Did you? Yeah. No. No. We had it was actually scandalous. Some of the boards because it had entree sort of like his udder in his hand, oh. uh, and just some of the angles and stuff, and and Perry getting squirted in the face by it. <laughs> and we we finished the episode. They okayed some of the boards. We finished it, and they weren't. They they were like, we we can't air this. We can't air this. <laughs> so we just kept on. We're like, we took frames out. Uh-huh. Just cut frames out of out of that one. Sh- we had the the money shot. We just cut frames out of it. Like no. <laughs> Cut some more frames out of it. No. Cut more frames out of it. No, honestly. And then our executive uh, was like, dude, no, really. Like, the episode's finished. Like, you have to fix this. So we just kept on trimming back until finally they went, okay, just we don't want to see it again. Just put it through. So now why did you want to stay? Like, did it really make you laugh? Is that why you We thought it was hilarious. You thought it was hilarious. And ultimately, from a kid's point of view, and if you stand back from it, there's nothing wrong with it. Yeah. Like, I, well, I don't think so. Maybe, maybe some of you will think differently. I'm not sure. Uh, <coughs> I think it's all good, sort of good fun. It's not, not really anything other than what it seems, you know. It made us laugh. Any female characters? Yes, yeah. Actually, uh, Patricia's our, she's uh, the female character we have. We the, only the have female, the female character we have. She's the, kind of our straight woman. Uh, uh, we she's her, straight. She's not funny. She's, no, she's more straight. She's really funny, actually. She, uh. Katie Crown did the voice for her, and she's this great Toronto comedian. Yes, I know. And her. does this kind of just kind of like off the cuff. We did a lot of ad libbing in the studio too, where if characters, if the actors actually just kind of went off, we just let them go off, and we just animate to it afterwards if we liked it. So she she would just go off sometimes for like minutes, and we'd be like, "That's great. Let's just take the, like the first thirty seconds of that and leave it in the show." And it's not scripted, but we just did that. So, do you feel like there's girls in the audience, or do you want girls in the audience, uh, or is it, or does the network care about girls in the audience? Well, we've got fan letters. We've had fan letters from the show, and they've all been from girls. Well, because they're the only ones who who write fan letters. <laughs> uh, I think so. apparently the girls love the show. Love, okay. They love they love Perry apparently. Uh-huh. So they think he's very cute because. <laughs> no, there's we've, uh, there's all this fan art up on the internet, and it's so, all girls' drawings of Perry. Where's this um, airing now? Uh, it's airing right now, basically Mexico, Central, and South America, uh, and it's been airing there since uh, I think about May, May June. Uh, we're airing in uh, the Netherlands, in Sweden, in 
South Africa, Australia, South Korea, most of Europe starting coming up to this Christmas. Uh, so like UK, uh, uh, Belgium, Luxembourg, France, Germany, a couple other places. Uh, and then we aired for two weeks in the States and then they pulled us because they thought we were too racy on this one channel called, I'm not, I'm not even kidding. They aired us on this channel called Cubo, which I don't know how they got the window, but it's kind of like a Christian conservative network (laughs) and they aired us for a couple weeks. Yeah, they, I guess which is how we got on it, and then they sort of decided that we were, we were not the show for them. And when's your air date for here? Uh, the spring, it looks like. The we got spring. pushed back quite a bit. On and do you know why you got pushed back, or they just have a lot of, don't have any shelf space? or? We actually think, I mean, we've heard a lot of people talking about a lot, a lot of different reasons. I think it, it comes down to the fact of that uh, a lot of broadcasters' ad revenues are down so far this year. Uh, that they just don't necessarily want to take shows onto the books if they can help it. So I think Teletune only did one new show this fall, and I think that was stoked. Uh, so everybody else kind of got pushed back. We weren't the only ones. A lot of shows that were supposed to air last year got sort of like shuffled around and pushed back. So now they're saying the spring, which will, which will be good to finally air in Canada. All right, let's watch some more, okay? So a couple quick more questions. The bumpers, you know, meanwhile, and then, when did you, when when did those come into play? Did, were they there from the beginning? They're not in the scripts. Uh, well, not. no, actually, no, that's not true. They are in the scripts if we could think up something funny for them. If they were there for a reason, like, uh-huh. the, uh, you know, like, uh, six hours later, six hours later, a year later. Yeah. Or, uh, you know, one day that couldn't possibly hurt later. Like, that stuff was in the scripts. A lot of the other bumpers, we just put in in the editing process wherever they seem to fit. Uh-huh, and just made up words for them then. They're very funny. I yeah. like those a lot. And then there's a lot of, like, very layered references to um, a lot of media, like the, um, the the mad scientist and everything. Do you, do you think that the kids get them, or are you I- introducing them, or is it just because it's funny for you? We think it's just because it's funny for us. We don't really worry too much about whether the kids are going to get specific references. We just, because we think they're funny, most of them, even if you don't know what they are. I mean, kids know what mad scientists are, mostly for the most part. What we tried to do was no pop culture references. Nothing recent, nothing timely. We didn't want to do any of those. We There's a couple places where they kind of slipped in because we thought the joke was really good, but we tried not to do anything about, like, Nothing topical, like nothing about, you know, Britney Spears or, or like specific people or things that had happened recently. We kind of wanted the episodes to be able to run any time, like five years from now, ten years from now, yeah. and still be, still be funny, hopefully. Yeah. Could you talk a bit about how you got into the animation? Uh, sure. Uh, I went to Ryerson for radio and television arts, and in, the, uh, in my third year there, uh, we had to create our own show and our, you know, write a Bible and a pilot. And I did a Bible and a pilot for an animated series. And it, uh, part of the course was you had to have it adjudicated by an outside writer, someone who was like a professional in the industry. And, uh, I came across, or I think I cold called, 
uh, an animator, or sorry, a writer at Nelvan at the time, this guy Pete Souter, who's probably one of the original animation yeah. writers in Canada, one of the very first people, one of the first graduating class of Sheridan. And Sheridan did animation at the time and just did all the classic animation in Canada, like stuff like all the early Care Bear, Care Bear stuff, the Babar stuff, even stuff before that. Like there was an old movie called Rock and Rule, which was like an old Nelvana animated film from like 19, maybe even 78 and around there. Worked on droids and stuff like that in Ewoks. And uh, he read the Bible in the pilot and gave me back the pilot covered in notes and told me to do a second draft, which really wasn't in the class, but I thought maybe I should do it anyway. Uh, and then we just became friends and started talking, and uh, I wrote a spec for another Nelvana series that he passed on to the story editor who really liked it and eventually hired myself and Richard for another show, and then I just kind of like steamrolled from there. And so were you working as a writing team? Yes. Okay. Yeah. When did you meet? Richard and I, uh, we met actually in university, but we had a lot of friends in common. We both came from the same part of Scarborough, and we had uh, we went to different high schools, but we had friends that kind of overlapped. So we'd actually heard of the other person, like we'd heard of each other, but we'd never met until we met in first year of university. And then we're like, oh, you're that guy, so you know John and Matt and Ian and stuff like that. And we're like, oh, okay, because friends of ours would be like, oh, there's this other guy who's doing film and TV work. You should meet him, because we both started uh, doing in film and television back when we were both in high school. And so you've always written together? Have you guys done anything professionally apart? Uh, pretty much everything together. There's been some small cases where some stuff is being done apart, but uh, the vast, vast majority of everything is done together, yeah. And what about your created by credit? On With this. just first <clears throat> names. Do you always do that? People know us in Los Angeles as Simon and Richard. It just seems easier than that. So that's what we do now for the most part. I mean, our names are in the credits a couple other, but we're yeah. executive producers on the show. Yeah. We thought our names are in the I credits too it. much yeah. already, you know, so we yeah. just thought, let's just do Simon and Richard. I think it's also very kid-friendly. Yeah. How would you uh, compare working on American animated shows versus Canadian animated uh, American shows have a bigger budget. <laughs> <laughs> Usually a little more time. There are... Uh, they're very similar in a lot of ways, uh, depending on the um, the genre of the show. I mean, I think writers, animated animation writers here can go back and forth pretty easily. The, the process is very similar. I think in the States, sometimes it's, they're a little more involved. There's a little less uh, of remotely working on scripts. Like, I think in Canada, there's a lot done just over email, where in the States, it's like you're probably in L.A., so you're probably meeting with people, you know, and seeing people or at least getting on the phone for long periods of time. Uh, whereas in Canada... You know, obviously, Toronto is a production center, but there's animation done in Vancouver and in Montreal and uh, to Ottawa to a certain degree. So there's writers that are from all over. So I think sometimes it happens over email here. We're down there. It's it's a lot more face-to-face because -face. if you're in the States and you're working in animation, you're probably not in Idaho. You're probably in L.A. or New York. What does your writing partnership look like um from a practical standpoint, like you guys write a story together and then go off and write, you know, like each take a crack at the draft and then come back, or? Uh, well, no, we never, we never both write. We never duplicate each other's efforts. Usually, what'll happen is whoever's kind of the most passionate about it, or who's like, I really want to do this, gets first crack at it. Uh, there's always enough work that there's always something else that has to be done. So we crack, we always crack and break stories together. Uh, and the other person is always there, and we just talk things over. So you'll be working on a scene. You'll be like, hey, what if this happens? Or, or do you have any ideas for this? Because I'm kind of stuck. 
and then things go back and forth. And sometimes we'll break a script up into two sections. Like sometimes we'll actually write acts and then recombine it and throw it back and forth. Uh, usually it's one person will take a draft. We'll take the first draft and then the next person will take the second draft. It'll come back with the polish, vice versa. We work the same way when we're doing, uh, cause we, we do some other work in, in features and live action and stuff like this. The same way in that too. It's not, that's not just for animation. Okay, and what what uh, what do you think are the chances of a second season for this? Well, uh, we were hoping that they were really great, but the delay of Teletoon airing them is kind of hurting us. I mean, uh, I know the show is doing really well in the places it's airing, like in South America. Like I said, we've gotten fan letters. We've, there's mm-hmm. fan art. People have started websites for the show and stuff. There's Every episode's up on YouTube in Spanish and Portuguese and starting to show up in English. Now, yeah, it's great to watch in Spanish. It's hilarious. In fact, we like the Spanish theme song so much, we used it for the opening of one of our episodes, our English <laughs> episodes, and we just ended it with them going ole at the end because That's we great. thought it was funny. Uh, so we know it's doing really well down there, but the problem is Teletoon's delayed airing it up here so much that our window is enormous now from first airing, the very first airing in the world, which was... March, uh, sorry, May of this year mm-hmm. to now Teletoon's first airing will be almost uh, a year later, it looks like anyway. Uh, and if Teletoon, you know, it, which is which is not as bad as it could have been, but it depends. If they decide to pick up a second season really soon, then that, that'll be great and we can sell that, at, you know, make that and sell it. But, I mean, our lead time has to be at least nine or ten months from getting started to getting an episode in the air, which means... That even if Teletoon said right away, like in, say, August, they wanted a second season, if we started making them in September, we could deliver an episode maybe the following spring, which meant all the kids in South America will have been watching the same episodes for almost two years, which is not great. And it means that potentially those broadcasters aren't as interested in buying a second season. We all grew up on watching the same episode for two (sighs) years. Fingers crossed, right? I hope so. I hope so. Uh, Any more questions from, from you guys? I just have a little technical thing. Like, uh, because you guys had so many international sales, how did you get away with like all the English signage and stuff like that? Because we did that before before the international oh, sales. Okay, okay. Uh, when you when you see it in uh, Spanish and Portuguese, we just do voiceovers for the signage. So all the all the, uh, the billboards you see between shots and stuff, and even the opening credits, because the titles were all sort of drawn backgrounds we just have someone say what that is over in spanish or in portuguese or german or swedish it's really fun in swedish actually that's a weird language uh yeah so that's how we do that i just have two questions but i don't know which one to favor um one is regarding adult swim style stuff yeah would the process for that be you know you're talking about like pushing as far as you can letting the network really back in yeah for an adult audience um would it be the same process do you think oh yeah yeah, for sure. I mean, no, I mean, it's pretty much identically. Are you talking, like, specifically the adult swim stuff on Cartoon Network? Or? Yeah. Yeah, no, that works exactly the same way. I mean, those guys push the envelope really far uh, and then just get sort of pulled back. Obviously, they can push it further than we can, you know, but they push it pretty far. I mean, I think the guys who are pushing the far, this is probably South Park. I don't think anybody's gone as far as those guys have uh, on, uh, on, you know, is television. Sort of, is that sort of yeah, actually, yeah. We uh, actually, uh, uh, Dave Willis, who does Aquatine Hunger Force, is a, actually a fan of Splice. So we've traded episodes back and forth of the series. Uh, so his kids watch Spliced, and, you know, I watch Aquatine Hunger Force. So, yeah, I know. I like the adult stuff. In fact, Teletoon was kind of like, you know, you guys should maybe just write us an adult show, because then we won't be telling you not no so many times. So. 
Um, sorry, my second question was, is there any value in anything like a cold pitch to having any kind of finished artwork or animation to show us a little behind, or is it just about the idea? Uh, no, our work is really good, especially in animation, if it's good. If it's good and you like it, you know, uh, and you think it's strong and it is strong, then yeah, coming in with, with artwork is great. It depends who you're pitching to. Uh, there's some sort of people you're pitching in the States, especially like Disney Channel, where one of their big execs is Mike Moon, who was, uh, who was uh, one of the animators and artists on like Foster's Home for Imaginary Friends and a bunch of other shows. He's a visual guy. It's better to come into him with some visuals along with your story because that's how he works and that's how he thinks. Uh, other executives might not be visual people, so it might be stronger to just come in with a story. So it, it sort of pays to know who you're pitching. But if you have strong visuals, yeah. But, and you don't even need much. Sometimes you just need characters. You, know? you don't need a, a finished thing. But if your finished thing is great, then yeah, you bring that in and you show that. How much uh, rewriting happens after you start a pitch before you even work with Uh Sorry, after the, after the board pitch or after – so what, before the boards, like in the midpoint of the boards or yeah. – Uh, not so much rewriting. It's more about comments, you know, like the board artists would, would sort of pitch what we'd have the board artists come in. I think, I think we had about four weeks for a board, I think. Uh, so we'd have the artists come in about, I think a week and a half or two weeks into the schedule and show us what they had so far. And then we would just comment on it. So it wasn't really rewriting. It was more like, we kind of saw that happening more like this, or that looks great. Do more of that, or just chop this up a little bit faster. And we just go through the boards with them and they, they would do a board pitch where they, they project them. We had a room there because it's all digital boards at this point, right? They would project them and sort of talk through it, changing panels as they went. And we'd be like, that's great. Can we make that a little faster? We sort of saw this happening more like this. And they would draw notes, take notes or just draw stuff right on top of the boards. Then they'd go away for another two weeks, come back with the finished boards, which we would then edit into a Leica. And then we had a couple uh, artists in-house at the studio who would do any changes from there on in because that board artist would probably be started on another episode. So we would still often, when we cut things in and started to edit it together, be like, oh, we need this, we need another scene here, we need something else there. And then they would just draw on the actual extra stuff and we just put it right in there. Were you guys present for the, any other version? Like, how did you choose your voice actors? You know, for... No, actually, we weren't actually present for any of the version. That all got done uh, outside, sort of behind our backs, uh, which is a shame. I would have liked to have. Uh, being there, uh, the Swedish version, the, the Perry actually sounds really like our Perry here, and I know uh, I think for the Netherlands, the person who plays Patricia in the Netherlands found our Patricia, found Katie Crown, and like they've been talking over email about <laughs> the character and stuff. Uh, but no, that versioning was all, all done. In fact, some of the first stuff I heard was when it was put up on YouTube. I was like, well, here it is in Portuguese. This is amazing. So yeah, there's a real um, sort of organic randomness. I'm wondering if structure takes a bit of a backseat to the humor when you're writing these, this type of show and these types of uh, episodes. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'd say comedy comes out on top. Comedy and character are the, are the biggest priorities of the show. But I'd like to think that most of the cases we, we also managed to find structure in there too, even if we gave it a bit of a twist, you know. Like the story's all, you know – have a we think a, a proper ending yeah, sometimes they close yeah they all close they all have a start they all have you know, sort of a rise and a middle and end and i think they all have structure we a lot of the episodes don't end back at the status quo like we have perry and andre leaving the island at the end of, at the end of episodes we have the earth destroyed at the end of episodes we don't necessarily have to come back we just we're happy to just leave it hanging or leave it dangling because 
no one really cares, you know. They just want to see a funny episode. So who cares if we end up with everything destroyed at the end? How did you go about selecting uh, your writers for the writing room? Like, did you contact agents, or did you just know them? Or? Uh, in this case, we just knew them. We knew we knew the people we wanted for the show, and it was uh, finding out if they were available for the show, and you know, and then just saying like, we want to book you for a while, you know, on the show. Uh, we do, though, normally in other shows, we, we look at stuff that agents send us, except Canadian agents don't send anything out. In my, you know, they my don't experience, send anything out? Let's, let's talk about no. that for a minute. You ask, them, you, you ask them for samples, or you... No, uh, I don't... Or, you're, or your, your show is just in production or in, in, in prep, uh, and, and you don't hear from of the Of the agents? last five series I've run... Mm-hmm. Uh, which are at least all of them, at least 26 episodes apiece. So that's, what, that's, you know, oh, mm-hmm. well over 100 half hours of, of produced television. I think, I don't think I've had a single Canadian agent ever push their writers on me, ever suggest writers for me. And this stuff isn't wow. hidden. This is published stuff. These stories come up, you know. Uh, I had one do it only after I told one of her, client, told one of her clients that he, she had never sent me his stuff. And then the stuff came. I've had American agents. I've had a fair amount of American agents send me their client scripts and try and get their clients worth from me, but I've never had a Canadian agent do it. Wow. Everybody can call their agent right now. <laughs> More questions? So what are you working on now? Uh, we actually – so we finished Splice at the end of – the writing was done at the end of last year, mm-hmm. and we were still in production, like just post-production until I think about – Probably about March or April of this year, and then we sort of uh, took a step back from TV for a while, and we've just been doing features all this year. So we wrote, uh, we finished an animated feature for an Australian-Canadian co-production called uh, Scary Girl, which is uh, sort of a weird, twisted kids' family movie, kind of like a Coraline or a Nightmare Before Christmas. That uh, we got telephone funding for that for the two for the two drafts of that, and we just finished the polish on that. So that looks like it's going to go into production, and then 3D? pardon 3D. Uh, probably a mixture of 2D, 3D. And it's, yeah, it's a weird sort of, like I said, a weird sort of dark animated movie. Uh, and then we've actually written, uh, we, uh, we went down to Los Angeles last year with a new feature, uh, called Marathon, which is a total live action dramatic feature, like, like a gladiator, like it's an ancient Greek epic. And we got, uh, a lot of really good feedback off that. We got a lot of doors. It got us, uh, pitching for some feature assignments down in L.A., uh, and then we uh, we had such a good response with that. We followed it up now with something that's a little more sellable. So we're just finishing off that feature right now. It's called The Black Spear, and it's a Indiana Jones kind of style movie, and that'll go down to L.A. in January. And we'll take that around and see if we can sell that. So, huh, yeah. Fantastic. Good luck with that. Thank you. So I think that's, uh, you know, we could watch a couple more, but maybe we'll say good. Goodbye and thank you now. Thank you so much. It's been fabulous. Really informative. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed the discussion. We'd love to hear from you. Email us at writerstalkingtv at gmail.com. We're taking a break for December, but we'll be back in January 2010 with more writers and more TV talk. You'll find the feed and future episodes at wgc.ca and on iTunes. This podcast is sponsored by the Writers Guild of Canada. All the technical wizardry is handled by fellow writer Philip Vukovic. I'm Jill Golick reminding you that 
writing is rewriting. 